So a few weeks ago, when we started exploring the topic of not-self, the Buddha's teaching on not-self, someone asked the question, how does the teaching on not-self connect with free will? And so I thought to explore that question, the question of free will, and and maybe more generally, um, how do the Buddhist teachings address, uh, not exactly address the question of free will, because, um, you know, I I don't think that the, 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 the Buddha addressed the question of, is it possible to be free from greed, aversion, and delusion? And is it possible to engage in activity that will take us in that direction? And his answer to that was unequivocally yes. Um, but, you know, this, this concept of free will, and it is a concept, it's a human concept, um, seems to really have come into human consciousness, um, the idea of free will and, and the problem of free will, the, the, you know, the problem of free will, it, which is a, it, this is not a, uh, uh, a new question. It has you know, the, the question of free will um, has been around since about the turn of the turn of the millennium, uh, the you know the first millennium, uh, um, and apparently the the term the Latin term free will was introduced in the fourth century, um, common era. So it's uh, you know that that uh, that question of do we have free will? I mean it, it's not it's not that. Um, it wasn't around in the time of the Buddha because there was this question of determinism. There were people who believed that everything was determined, all actions, and that the consequences of our actions were predetermined. So that question of predeterminism was was around at the time of the Buddha. And the Buddha um, did not ascribe to that theory. So that's one piece that is is um, of interest, I think, in the in the modern or in the in the kind of the Western commentarial discussion around free will, the the uh, from the time of the Greeks, um, two key threads of question come in, and one is, do we have choice? Is there choice in terms of the definition of what free will is? Is there choice, and uh, are our actions determined? Is, is, is it the consequences of, of what we do? Or is, it, is it determined? So determinism and choice are two of the key kind of flavors of, of what um, people think of in terms of free will, that, that we have some kind of choice is often a, a, fla- a flavor of what, free, what we think of when we think of free will and that the outcome of our um, uh, the outcome of our actions is not necessarily determined. 
Although as I looked at, at some of the, the kind of the, the Western um, definitions of free will, um, it's really clear to me that this is entirely human uh, thinkings. Um, there's so many different definitions of free will, so many different definitions of determinism, so many different interpretations. And so um, a lot of this discussion um, is really based on what, what definition you want to talk about. And yet this is a question for us, especially with this, the topic of not-self coming up. And, and really the, the teaching on not-self is, it can be disturbing for us. And I think the question of free will can also, uh, if we feel like we don't have free will, that can be disturbing for us. Um, and so it's, it can be, I think, useful to talk about it, to explore our human experience and uh, what wise people have to say about these topics. So I'll attempt to, to convey some of that today and perhaps some of my own comfort uh, with not having clear answers. Um, you know, that's, that's important, you know, because there's so many deep questions to which we can't have clear defined answers. Can there be some comfort with not knowing? Um, can there be some comfort with understanding how our experience is unfolding and what what the what the kind of the unfolding nature of that is and so in the teaching of not self i think this question of free will does come up because the the way not self one of the ways i um defined not self in fact is um that what we take to be self what we assume of as self is a lawfully unfolding process that's ever-changing and that there's nothing in that lawfully unfolding process that is static or stable. It is simply an unfolding process. The lawful nature of it is um, perhaps where the question of free will comes in. You know, if, and the, the understanding in the Buddhist teaching is that when things are arising, um, uh, what's arising in this moment is conditioned. It is shaped by the past. The choices that we make, the choices that are made by our system, by the processes of body and mind, those are also conditioned. And so where we have arrived in this moment, that's conditioned. The choices that are uh, arising by the processes in the mind and body that decide and choose and evaluate. Our human system has these processes. There is choice in our human system. There's intelligence in our human system that can evaluate based on prior experience, how things happened in the past, can evaluate and make kind of predictions in a way about what might happen in the future, and can choose. Our system can choose between different uh, outcomes, basically, based on 
all of those internal processes. So there is choice in our system. It is conditioned in the Buddhist understanding. It's conditioned. There's not a being in here. There's not a thing, solid, stable, unchanging entity doing all of those decidings and evaluatings. Those decidings and evaluatings are processes of this human system. So we could say that evaluating evaluates and choosing chooses, deciding decides. So that, um, that's, that teaching of not-self, pointing to the deeply conditioned nature of the unfolding process that is a human being, can be interpreted or um, uh, understood in a way as, oh, well, if everything is just conditioned, then I don't have any choice. If, if a choice is conditioned and I'm not making it, then there's no free will. I mean, that can be a way to interpret that teaching. Um, and again, you know, based on, you know, looking at the variety of definitions of free will, some of the definitions of free will that I read based, you know, some of the, the more recent Western definitions of free will, that would not be considered free will. Others, other definitions of free will, it would be considered free will. The, the ability to choose between different courses of action unimpeded is one definition of free will. So the ability to choose. It doesn't say there has to be a self that chooses. There's an ability to choose. There's some other... Um, the ability to choose between different possible courses of action unimpeded. Yes, that's the one I just read. Um, and so sometimes the notion of free will has to do with not being externally constrained. That there is the internal, there's the possibility of evaluating and making choices internally, which Buddhism, the, the teachings of Buddhism clearly uh, point to, that our system can, can evaluate, make these choices. The other thing about the understanding of this vast web or this kind of the, the conditions that arrived us in this moment, is that it is so vast. It, it stretches back, stretches all the way back to the beginning of whenever, or no beginning maybe, <laughs> just, just this unfolding set of processes and conditions. The, the arising of our particular body was dependent on other conditions in the past. And so the conditions of us being here, it's, it's this vast network. And um, the Buddha actually says, if you try to contemplate that network and figure the entire thing out, you'll go mad. So don't try. But he did point to understanding some key pieces around that network. And that is that if there are in the moment, and, and he essentially pointed to in this moment, in this present moment, what's arising in this present moment, this is where there is the possibility to shape and condition something in the future, something um, um, shape and condition something more wholesome. 
And so in the present moment, if greed or aversion or confusion, delusion is arising, if it's not seen, if we're not aware of it, if we are unaware of the, if we don't have the understanding to, this is another piece, if we don't have the understanding of how acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion will ultimately add suffering, add that, make that pattern of greed, aversion, and delusion deeper in our mind, make that conditioning deeper in our mind. If we don't understand that, greed, aversion, delusion will tend to convince us to act out of them, tend to convince the system that, yeah, this is a good idea. You'll get what you want. There'll be a hit. There'll be a moment of happiness. So go for it. Um, uh, so the, the, um, without the kind of awareness of the experience of greed, aversion, and delusion being painful suffering in our system, and without the understanding that acting out of those tends to lead to more suffering, we, we will tend to follow that. We'll tend to follow those courses. We don't know, our, our, our system doesn't know any other option often other than following our conditioning. When we learn something, we learn something of the teaching of, of being aware of our experience, recognizing how our mind states, inner mind states create experience here and now, recognizing how as we as we begin to learn and the teaching of the buddha if you act out of greed aversion and delusion it will rebound on you at some point and that at some point is is um sounds perhaps deterministic but um when i said that the buddha was not um did not agree with the deterministic view of his time it was um, you know, the, the, one of the deterministic views, and there were probably multiple ones, <laughs> like there are now, you know, so many different perspectives on what these things were. But there was one in particular where there was a belief that if you did a certain action, then certain consequences would unfold from that. Certain absolute consequences. Um, the, like, like, you know, if you, kill something, then you'll experience this in the future, you will go to hell or something like that, you know, just that kind of, that kind of a deterministic kind of perspective. The Buddhist pers perspective on the suffering is, if you engage from the perspective, if you engage from greed, aversion and delusion, then that will arise at some point in the future as unpleasant experience does not say how unpleasant does not say the specific unpleasant thing that will happen but just the tendency towards more suffering when we act out of greed aversion and delusion and the possibility you know learning the teaching of the buddha so the condition of hearing Mindfulness supports a different kind of engagement with the world. Mindfulness allows the system to see the underlying um, 
intentions and motivations at work allows us to perhaps choose or not choose an action based on understanding those conditions. And so the, the, the teaching of mindfulness and the exploration of experience from this perspective of curiosity about what's this experience? How does it unfold? So that that kind of curiosity begins to help the mind to actually be able to see some of what the motivations are underlying our, our choices. And the, the teaching that if you act on choices based on greed, aversion, and delusion, more suffering will follow. If you act on choices not based in greed, aversion, and delusion, but instead based on love, compassion, wisdom, kindness, those will lead towards more happiness in the future. So this, uh, this, this, that statement, that teaching of the Buddha is a kind of a statement of the teaching of karma. The, the, the understanding that action based on unskillful mind states will lead to more suffering. Action based on skillful mind states will lead away from suffering. So that's a teaching of the understanding of karma. And the Buddha taught that not as something he made up, but more as a natural law that he um, uncovered, we could say. Kind of like Newton taught the law of gravity. Not that he invented gravity, but he, that he described it. I mean, we all knew about gravity or people knew what gravity was. They knew you couldn't like hold something in the air and let go and it would not fall to the ground. So there was an intuitive understanding of, of gravity before Newton actually gave it a name. So gravity, gravity didn't just come into being when, when it was defined and described and given this, uh, given this equation by Newton. The Buddha spoke about the law of karma as being a natural law, much like gravity is a natural law. And he, um, he pointed to that in the way um, um, of, um, uh, he said, if there's a, a big heavy boulder and you throw it into a pond, is any amount of wishing going to make that boulder rise to the surface? And the answer is no. I mean, that's, that's gravity, right? You know, that's, that's a natural law that that boulder is not subject just to, you know, our human wishes that it float. And he said in a similar way, the law of karma is a natural law. If you act out of greed, aversion, or delusion, there will be some consequence to that. It doesn't have a specific consequence in that, you know, it's like you do this action, you get this result. And in fact, the, the results can change depending on what happens in the future. So for instance, if you do something unskillful, and then recognize that was unskillful and do other things to make amends, to uh, understand your 
mind states and understand how that worked and explore acting in different ways in the future, that in the Buddhist understanding creates um, wholesome conditions that we could say kind of dilute the effect of that prior action. So the Buddha also offered this teaching of um, that kind of consequences or the the nature of yeah the nature of the consequences of action. Um, using another analogy of the salt crystal, and he said, if you take a salt crystal, let's say a teaspoon of salt, and put it in half a cup of water. That's, that water is going to be undrinkable because the amount of pure water is so small in comparison to the amount of salt. He said, you take that same amount of salt and put it into a vast pond and then take half a cup of water, that half a cup of water will be drinkable because the, 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 there's more purity than impurity. There's more pure water than salt. So the, the actions, he says, the actions, you know, he explicitly said some actions for some people, a particular action. So the external action, you know, or even arising based on a, um, arising based on a particular mind state. For some people, that action, he said, may take them to hell. And for others, it may appear barely as a ripple for a moment. And, and that's kind of the same. It's the, you know, for some people, the, um, the, the, there's been, maybe there's been a lot of like, you know, putting more and more and more salt into the water. And so there's less, and, and that happens over and over again, there's less room for the, um, the salt to disperse into a broader container of, of clear water. But it's not just the water that, I mean, in this analogy, the analogy is, you know, you put the, the salt into a glass or you put the salt into a pond. And so the, either the, um, the, the water is a small amount of, of clean water or it's a large amount of clean water. But the teachings also point to basically that if you start by putting salt into a small amount of water, the actions that we take in the future can essentially grow the amount of water. The, the, the con, the, the, so, it, so we're not stuck with that, that place. We're not stuck in that place of just that small amount of water with that amount of salt. We can, we can grow the amount of water. So we, the, 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 the growing the amount of water is um, growing the amount of wholesome qualities in the mind. And so hearing this teaching, understanding that being familiar, recognizing what's going on with mindfulness, aware of what's present in our mind, aware of the intentions, the motivations, 
aware that choosing out of greed, aversion, and delusion is unhelpful. Choosing, acting out of wholesome states of minds is helpful. That hearing that teaching and being willing to engage with it, that itself is a condition that affects us. Some of us, some of us hear these teachings and it hits us in a moment where we can hear it and we engage with it. Those of us that have that happen for us, we are said to be very lucky that that has happened for us. So that, um, you know, for myself, just, you know, there are conditions in our lives where we may not be, we may not be, um, ready to hear some of these teachings. Like for myself, when I was in my 20s, I read some some books about Buddhist mindfulness and it did not take, <laughs> you know, it, it, it kind of sounded interesting and I tried it for a few days and it's like, well, I can't do this. I guess, you know, I guess I can't do this. And so I just gave it up. Um, and so it wasn't really until First of all, I knew somebody who was doing it and said, yeah, this is really useful. You engage with this, it works. So that was helpful. So that was a condition for me that allowed that to become part of my willingness to engage, part of this system's willingness to engage, the use of my, me, I here, purely conventional. The, the, the conditions of having uh, a friend offer me a book at the right time when I was so uh, miserable that I was willing to try anything. You know, I was willing to engage with something that a friend had said, yeah, this works. It's, it's hard, but try it. You know, it works. So, um, so the, uh, the unfolding of our lives in this Buddhist understanding, it is completely conditioned. We have to be fortunate enough to hear the teachings. We have to be in a state or a place where we can receive those teachings and have the curiosity enough to engage. So the choice that's available as we become mindful, this is a, this is a piece that I, I do wanna kind of point to. When we do not have that capacity to reflect, and we all have that capacity to reflect and think about the past and look at the future and make choices, decisions, um, but often um, uh, before we learn about kind of how to be present with our experience, with the discomfort of our experience in particular, that like for, for me, for, for instance, you know, the experience of anger arising, the experience of anger arising was so uncomfortable, I would just act on it. And whether it was directed to myself or directed to someone else, you know, it didn't really matter. It just needed to be acted on because it was so uncomfortable. That is not freedom. That's at the mercy of our uh, 
our conditioning, our habits, our choices, you know, the, 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 the ways we had been conditioned. The um, learning about the Buddhist teachings, learning about look at your anger, look at it in this way, instead of immediately acting on it, notice what it's like to feel the anger. You know, that teaching was not obvious to me, was completely counterintuitive because I thought it would just make me more angry to feel the experience of anger. But very quickly, I learned otherwise. The willingness to, to engage with it, the willingness to explore that, the willingness to be with the experience of anger helped me to learn something different about that you know, the big thing that the first like big aha was, wow, this hurts. Duh. You know, it hadn't been obvious to me. So that is a condition, you know, that's a condition. And that began to shape new choices, new actions. The possibility of seeing the anger arising and to choose to observe it as opposed to following the habitual tendency to act on it. That was what the Buddha, the Buddhist teachings offered. And in one article I read well, a few years ago, uh, this was pointed to potentially as instead of free will, free won't. That we, in seeing, you know, in observing what's happening in our experience, we have potentially the choice to decline to act out of those strong habits and patterns. That free won't is also conditioned, <laughs> you know, so at least in my, in my, you know, understanding of how things unfold, everything is conditioned. And yet the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the seeing of, you know, we think we've got free will when we can act based on our urges. But those urges are often so deeply conditioned and often conditioned by, based on greed and aversion. And so we are not acting freely there. We are acting in dependence on these very old and deep conditioned habits and patterns. And so the, the, the bringing the mindfulness to it, we have a new conditioning, a new, a new uh, arising in our experience of, oh, this is happening. Maybe I can observe this and know the experience instead of acting on it. That's the free won't, but it's also conditioned based on the willingness, the interest, the curiosity, the fact that maybe you had a friend that told you this is interesting or helpful. I mean, all of that was conditioned in my experience. And yet, you know, so the, the conditioning that leads us to not acting on greed, aversion, and delusion, is that free will? I don't know. But it does lead to freedom from suffering. And that's really the freedom that the Buddha was pointing to. 
and the possibility, the capacity of our human system to engage with these teachings, to learn about our own hearts and minds, that is a natural unfolding set of conditions that will tend to take us towards freedom, towards letting go of greed, aversion, and delusion. The law of uh, the natural law of karma, the, the, that natural gravitational pull. At first, it feels like a gravitational pull towards all of our reactive emotions as we feel into it. It's, it, it feels hard sometimes not to act on those. The more we practice, the more the gravitational pull towards the, the wholesome qualities comes. Again, is that free will? Maybe we could call it conditioned will. It's conditioned will. I like Plato's definition of freedom. It's very similar to what the Buddha said, actually. Uh, so this, you know, Western philosopher, Greek philosopher, Freedom for Plato is a kind of self-mastery attained by developing the virtues of wisdom, courage, and temperance, resulting in one's liberation from the tyranny of base desires. That's uh, very similar to the Buddha's talking about freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion, freedom from those reactive emotions, cultivated by developing wisdom courage, patience, kindness, mindfulness, wholesome qualities of mind. So this, uh, the natural law of karma, the natural law of the unfolding nature of our hearts and minds, Maybe that feels like not having free will, but I mean, again, if we bring back the law of gravity, now this is a natural law, the law of gravity is a natural law. Do you feel like you're not free because you can't step off a balcony and fly? You understand that natural law and you engage within the, within the, ways that that natural law works. Understanding that natural law helps us to navigate life. And similarly, understanding the natural law of karma helps us to navigate, helps the mind, helps the system to navigate, having the information about how that natural law works. And the, the benefit of mindfulness and wisdom in shaping a suffering that it's shaping a, a, a shaping an experience that allows the release from suffering that allows us to navigate allows the system to navigate within the world that has this natural law and move in the direction of of, of happiness, of freedom, so that we're not like, you know, jumping off buildings, thinking we can fly. Yeah, these are the conditions. This is what supports 
a happier life. So the, the one piece I, I will say, another piece, and this is the, I, I've talked longer than I thought I would, but I do want to say this last piece about, about free will, because um, whether or not, I mean, whatever free will is, I mean, it's a human, it's a human concept. It's an, it's an idea. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's a human created thought, an idea of, you know, the idea, if we didn't think, I mean, if we believed we had no ability to affect our future, which is one way to look at not having free will. I am completely at the mercy of conditions of the past and I don't get any say in what happens. If we have that view of what this, this um, you know, lack of free will means, if, if, that's, if we think we don't have free will and, uh, and, th and that's how we're engaging, we will suffer. So, whether or not it, it, uh, you know, so the, and this comes back to choice again, you know, so this comes back to the, the, the moment where we have the sense that we can choose different actions. There is that experience. That is a, an experience, the sense of there's a choice facing me. I can choose this or I can choose this. What do I choose? Let me reflect. Let me think about the past. Let me reflect and project what it might be in the future. That experience, when it feels like we have a choice, and there are times actually in the practice when the mind is seeing things so clearly, seeing the unfolding nature of things so clearly, it, it, um, it, it naturally begins to choose skillfully. And it's, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm not making this choice. Wisdom's making this choice. But there's a vast area in our experience where it feels like we have a choice. Doesn't necessarily feel like I have access to some natural wisdom that's just going to tell me what to do. But there we use our capacities to reflect, to, to, to think. And understanding the teachings of what's skillful, what's unskillful. And so when it feels like you have a choice, and it often feels like we have a choice, whether we have a choice or not, I don't know, you know, whether, whether there's actually free will in that moment, I'm not sure. There's conditioned will, there's the possibility of choosing in that moment. But when it feels like there's a choice, choose as skillfully as you can. That's our freedom in that moment and will lead us in the direction of less suffering, less greed, aversion, and delusion in our mind. So, any thoughts or reflections on that topic? Yeah, Jan. Question. 
if we make a choice, it's the same choice, but we make the choice out of aversion versus out of love. Does that change the consequences? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the, so that's, that's an interesting thing to, to, to understand that. And that's another piece that, um, you know, the Buddha pointed to as a difference in his teaching there that then some of the deterministic teachings of his day in um, some of the deterministic teachings of his day, it was the action that what was actually done, that was what the consequences came from. And the Buddha said, no, it's what the intention is behind the action, what the consequences come from. So, so the, the same action, the same choice might be made out of love or out of aversion, hugely different consequences. And I think we, we, can, we, we can see that, we can learn that, we can know that in our own hearts and minds. Now, you know, sometimes the, the action out of love can have some delusion in there. You know, we think we're helping somebody um, and there's not, we, we, you know, our hearts are in a good place. You know, we, we are um, genuinely wishing them well, but not having a, maybe a full set of information or not having um, a clear um, understanding of where they are you know, it may land in a way that is not expected, perhaps. And so, you know, when we when that happens, if, if, um, if something if suffering does arise, or something unexpected does arise, the, the Buddha points us back to being curious, you know, what, well, what, what did I not understand here? Um, if I may, that this simple example is like going to the doctor if you're sick, right? So I could go to the doctor because I'm sick of being sick, right? I'm just fed up. Or I can go to the doctor because I feel compassion and want to take care of my body and feel yep. love and care yeah. for myself. And so the only thing I could think of the difference there would just be how I experience my interactions with the medical profession. Well, it's not only that. I mean, you know, it, it, it could be that they're, they're definitely depending on your attitude as you walk in the door, it's going to affect the, um, the interactions, but also your, you know, you're acting out of aversion, which, you know, you act out when you act out of aversion, your, your, um, reinforcing that acting out of aversion is a good way to go. Oh, like I have to get this fed up to take action to love myself. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like reinforcing suffering at, before going to the doctor <laughs> at a deeper, at a deeper level, it's reinforcing that habit of mind. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's really, you know, in those kind of more simple examples, you know, or, or in the, the examples where, you know, the action itself is not going to cause harm, you know, it's like, um, or actually could be helpful, right? You know, in this case, going to the doctor can be helpful for the body. And, and you don't have to wait until there's no fed up to go to the doctor. I mean, there's going to be mixed motivations. Absolutely. Uh, but being aware that the fed up is there is really useful, you know, to, to hopefully temper the reactivity there. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Charles Lee. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's it's almost time to stop, but but yeah, Charles Lee. 
Oh, uh, yeah, thanks. Quickly. Um, uh, thank you for that wonderful reflection. Uh, very, very deep. And uh, when I think of free will, I just think of two teachers, uh, two, two people who have written um, books that I've read. One is Jay, uh, or excuse me, Jarvis J. Masters, who's a death row inmate uh, in San Quentin, a practicing Buddhist, uh, who has written extensively on finding um, freedom, uh, you know, in, in a place where, you know, really that's like kind of the ultimate of, of no free will. Um, and then also um, the Holocaust survivor, I'm forgetting his name, but he wrote the book. Um, Search for Meaning, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, Man's Search for Meaning. Because um, uh, I, I just Frankel. see, you know, those Victor two. Frankel. Yeah, Victor Frankl. Um, just, you know, two places where um, there is such little kind of a conventional freedom, yet uh, uh, they're able to find uh, freedom. And I think... Uh, Really, uh, I think of, uh, you know, I, I freedom in the way I react or respond to life as it really is, uh, rather than uh, kind of the, you know, what actually, or, you know, what may be happening or the narrative that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm yeah, constructing and, and, around what's happening. And I think that the, the Buddhist definition of freedom being the absence of greed, aversion, and delusion, you know, that that's an important piece. It's not the presence of something that leads to freedom. It's the, it's the, it's the absence of. Uh, 